Good morning. Welcome to Life Community Church. My name is Kyle. I'm thrilled that you're here to worship with us together. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to James chapter one. As you're flipping there on your Bible, your device, let me just greet you. If this is your very first time, we wanna say an extra special welcome to you. Life Community Church is, is, is a community of broken people who are held together by the perfect love of Jesus. You see, we are a people all across this faith spectrum, some who believe in God, some who don't, who are all pointed towards and following Jesus together. Why? Because we found that Jesus heals our brokenness and puts us back together. And he doesn't just heal us and transform us. What he then does is he sends us out to be on mission together. He gathers us, he heals us and says, now that you're healed up, go out and be my light and my love. And we do this together. So wherever you are on that faith journey, welcome. We are so glad you're here, especially this morning as we are starting a new series on James entitled, Old wisdom for the new normal. Old wisdom for the new normal. Let's dive right in. James chapter one, verse one. It begins like this, setting the stage. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So we're figuring out who it's written by. It's written by James. He's the leader of the church, particularly in Jerusalem, one of the most significant leaders. And who's he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes. He's writing to the scattered church. Now, some of you may, well, what do you mean the 12 tribes? Aren't the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, wait, but now that they're Christians, they're followers of Jesus, aren't there more than just 12 tribes? Haven't we all become one in Christ Jesus? Haven't all these people who were not Jewish by birth, haven't they been grafted in and adopted into the family? Isn't the family now more united and more diverse than ever before? Why is he referencing 12 tribes? I'm glad you asked. He's addressing these 12 tribes who are scattered because they're living through something 2,000 years ago that it might be impossible for you to understand what they're going through. He references the 12 tribes because there's this historical thing called the diaspora or the Jewish dispersion in which the people wanted to be together, but for political reasons, for health reasons, they were scattered and could not be together. In the midst of their physical scattering, there was also ideological scattering. They were scattered because they'd been conquered by Rome, by the Greeks before that, and by other empires before that. And as they get scattered, this different geography also created different ideology, and they all were divided by their politics. Some of them said, let's just get on board with the ruler, with the czar, with the Caesar. Let's just go with the flow. Others say, no, we're going to stand up, we're going to fight. We're going to burn the whole thing down and we're going to lead a whole nother revolution. So they're scattered. They're divided. There's racial tensions in the early church. Because this church is a multi-ethnic movement from the very beginning, the gift of the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak and understand in different languages. And now they're trying to figure out how do we be this multicultural mosaic, this cross-cultural world. And this church has some racial tensions. It goes on and the racial tensions then become economic tensions. It gets so bad in Rome, there's, there's, a, there's a famine in Rome and there's not enough food. And so 
the lack of food, or particularly the lack of grain in Rome, leads to protests that leads to rioting. Now, I know none of you could imagine a church that wants to be together but can't. I know you can't imagine a people who are divided by their political ideology. I know it's impossible to fathom a world or a nation that has differing views on race and how we do this multicultural experiment together. And I know it's impossible for you to imagine a protest that becomes violent because there's anger about rich and poor. You been there? You see, we're starting this new series on James, which is old wisdom for the new normal. And what I want to say from the very beginning is what we're experiencing as a country or what maybe you're experiencing in your life today of social distancing, of division, of uncertainty about the future. This may be the very first time you're going through it, but God has been through this before. And God has brought his people through this before. Throughout the history of scripture and even beyond scripture for the last 2,000 years of the church, what do we do? We see a people that become scattered and divided and discouraged. And what does God do? God holds his family together. And in James, what he's going to do is he's going to give wisdom, practical, real-life suggestions of how do we navigate the division between rich and poor. How do we use our words in such a way that give life instead of death? What do we do when we're in the midst of pain and suffering? You see, the same things that you're going through are things that God has brought his people before. So you may not know how it ends, but I want to begin very clearly by saying God knows how it ends. God was not surprised by the coronavirus. God is not surprised by what's going on in our world today. God has been there, done that, and he's got a history of leading his people through it. So even though you've never been there and you don't know where it is, I want to begin by saying the people of God have been there and God has led his people through. And that is why we have hope this morning. It sure isn't because I'm smart enough to figure it out. The last four, five, I don't even know how many months we've been in this crazy times have taught me anything. It's I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not as disciplined as I thought I was. I'm not as powerful as I thought I was. And more than ever before, I said, Jesus, I need your wisdom. Show me how to get through this. And fortunately for us, he does. Let's keep reading. See what he says. Verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know this, church, you know this, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face many trials. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. When the restaurant I want to go to, I don't even know if it's open or not. And if it is, I'm going to have to eat outside in 100 degree heat in Roseville. Consider that pure joy. 
Consider it pure joy that uh, I've got to wear a mask, which is now giving me like blisters around my mouth, and I've got like zits growing behind my ears in ways I never thought because they're being chafed by a mask all day. Consider that pure joy. Consider it pure joy when I open up social media and all of a sudden I have less faith in humanity than ever before. Consider it pure joy. Okay, I know this is what the Bible says. I believe it. It's true. But let me just tell you two reasons that this command to consider it pure joy when life stinks. Let me give you two reasons this is hard for me. First of all, I've seen this scripture weaponized to hurt people, to not allow you to deal with your pain and frustration. And maybe you've been a part of a church like that. That's not the type of church we long to be. We, we do want you to consider it all joy. Let me be clear. Yes, that's true. And we also know that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who have loved so much and so vulnerably that they can be hurt. So this does not mean that there will never be pain. It doesn't mean there will never be sadness. It'll never be that there'll never be grief, but somehow it gets transformed from trial to joy. Okay, so you're gonna be emotionally healthy and honest. So we're not gonna make that mistake. But the other reason that this is hard for me, the reason it's difficult because when I'm in the middle of pain, it's hard for me to say that this is good, that it's good for me. You see, friends, this is an extraordinarily difficult time and I've spent significantly more time struggling with God. How is this good? So how do you, how do I get to a place where we can say that in the midst of suffering, life is good, God is good, and this is for my good. How do I get there? Because it's one thing for me to look at you friends and just say, hey, consider it joy. I know life sucks, consider it joy. I know homeschooling your kids and distance learning is like the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life, but consider it pure joy. It's one thing to say it, but it's a so much harder thing to actually do it and believe it with authenticity, with honesty. So how do I get to a place where I look at the struggles, the health struggles, the financial struggles, the family struggles? How do I get to a place where I actually can consider it joy? I believe God's word to be true, or at the very least, I'm willing to try it. But can you tell me how to do it? And fortunately for us, Jesus does. Look at what God says through his word. He begins, consider it pure joy. And how do we do it? How do we get to a place where we can consider it pure joy? He answers that in verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let me ask you this. What is the relationship between a lack of wisdom and not being able to consider it pure joy? How do those ideas connect? Let me explain it for you. You see, the biblical idea of wisdom is this. Wisdom, according to the Bible, is the insights that God gives us that empower us to live a godly life. Let me say it again. Wisdom is not theoretical knowledge. Wisdom is not merely life experience, so those are both important. 
Wisdom is the insight that God gives you to empower you to live a godly life. It's the insights that change your mind, that change the way you see the world, and then transforms your actions to be able to do it. So, What I want to say is, if you are going to consider it joy, if you are going to believe that it's happening for your good and God is going to build you and grow you and it's going to end up being good in your behalf, how do you get there? You get there by first going to God and saying, God, I don't understand it. I need your insight. Friends, let me be very clear. This is a challenging time, but what I want to encourage you to do is go directly to God and say, God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand it. God, why is this happening? God, why are we so divided? God, why is my family hurting? God, why is this lasting so long? What you need to have the courage to do is go to God and say, God, I don't get it. Because in that humble posture, two things are transformed. Number one is you come to the end of yourself and realize, man, I'm just not God. I don't understand it all. And God knows more than I do. And secondly, when you go to God for answers, what you've done is you're now accessing the greatest and only truth in the history of the world. The greatest truth that's unlocked the mysteries of the world. That truth is now available to you. Why? Because you have gone to God and said, God, I believe that you are and you have the answer. Let me explain how this has worked in my life. I've struggled for the last five months to consider it pure joy. Uh, I have struggled to say, God, why is this happening? But I've been learning a little bit about pain and growth over the last two weeks through a new uh, workout that I've been doing. Long story short, uh, I have a friend of mine. uh, She and her husband are pastors, and uh, they also coach at a CrossFit gym. But, you know, like all of our other gyms, it's shut down. My gym shut down. So they said, hey, come on over and we'll train you in our garage. But really, it's in their driveway. So I show up for the very first time, never been to their house. I get there and there's all these chalk marks on the driveway. I'm like, what are those chalk marks? Like, oh yeah, those are all the exercises we're going to do. And I'm like, huh? And wait, what are all of these different weights? And how come I've never heard of all these exercises we've done? Like, don't worry, we will teach you. And I'm like, okay. And after that first day, one day of working out, afterwards I go to take a shower. I put the, the, the soap in my hand. And what do I do? Is I go and I go to put, and I'm like, oh, it hurts. It hurts to take a shower. It hurts to wash my hands. My muscles are in so much pain that I can't even wipe the sweat off my filthy body. Why am I in pain, I asked. But I learned something. I learned that the pain comes from the tearing of muscle fibers. What happens when you work out is you lift, you press, you exert energy. And what happens is when you get to a place where your muscles are no longer strong enough to lift it, what happens is those muscles literally actually rip. And after they rip, they have to be repaired. And the pain 
is telling your body that you've worked so hard that your muscles have been ripped and it's time for repair. And that muscle repair is actually what we call growth. And what I wanna tell you is this is what God is doing. You've exerted so much effort in this quarantine season or whatever struggle you're going through, you've exerted so much effort that what is it? You've got to a point where you've tried to lift, 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 and you realize I can't do it anymore. And your head and your heart and your relationships have been ripped. And the pain is God's way of telling you to rest so that you can rebuild those muscles. We're gonna get to the rest thing in a minute. Let's just put the rest piece on a hook. We'll get there in a minute. So I learned that pain comes from not being strong enough to lift, pushing your body to a place where you can't handle anymore, forcing you to rest so that the muscles can regrow. We'll get there in in a second. But the other thing I learned from my novice, I used to just think the more weight, the better, and the faster you get it done, the better, because we're all busy people, we got to go. So it's like, all right, we're doing bench press today. Beautiful. All right, 10 reps. Boom. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Done. Boom. Get in the shower. Go. But what they taught me, they gave me wisdom. They gave me insights that change the way I think, the way, the way I see exercise. They've given me wisdom that changes it. But they said, it's not actually just about the number of reps or the number of pounds. They say it's about the time under tension, time under tension. You see, time under tension is an exercise term. It's an exercise terminology that says what you actually want to measure is the amount of seconds that your body is under tension, that your muscles are exerting. So just doing one rep like that is not the same as doing it up slowly because all the time your muscles are tearing and ripping and growing and then all of a sudden slow it back down. What I want to tell you is what you've heard me say over and over. I was not ready for a five-month quarantine that looks like it's got time to go. I thought we were going to be one or two weeks, boom, everything goes back to normal. And I was not prepared. I was going through this like, let's just get it done, get it going, get it going. And then all of a sudden I realized that this extended time is growing me and stretching me more than ever before. And can I tell you, I hate it and I love it. God has taught me that I've been so good at just lifting the weights and getting done. But God is telling me, Kyle, you've got bigger weights that you've got to grow. You've got muscles that you've got to grow. What God is teaching me in this season, because I can't just get through it right away, God's teaching me, Kyle, your parenting's got to grow. You're spending more time with your kids and your kids are at a more difficult time than other. Kyle, this pain is me leveling you up and training you to be a better parent. You're not gonna be able to get through it because it's gonna be a long time. My parenting's gotta change. In this season, friends, my preaching has to change. I gotta learn how to preach to an empty room and see you. I love you, I love you, but I wish you were here with me. My preaching's gotta change, it's gotta grow. My reliance on Jesus has to grow. 
You see, I thought I trusted God, but in this time, what I've realized is I had too much faith in myself and not enough time in Jesus. So what's happening is my life is being ripped. My literal, physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. And God is telling me, I wanna remove all of those other things that you've been relying on. What you don't realize is you thought you've been running at a sprint, Kyle, but what you've actually been doing is walking with a walker and all these other things are supporting you up. And now I'm taking your walker away. And see, Jesus is saying to me, Kyle, will you trust me more than you've ever trusted me before? And when my walker's not there, I feel unstable. I feel like I can't do it. I've had all these stabilizers in my life and they're gone. But in the midst of this, what is God doing? He's giving me wisdom. He's giving me insight that changes my mind, changes the way I see things, changes the way I see myself, changes the way I see the world. And what does it do? It has created growth. Yes, there has been pain, but God has been growing me. And what I wanna tell you is that God is growing you, but you will not grow just if you avoid pain, And you can avoid pain by saying it's not there. You can avoid it by saying, oh, I just consider it all joy. But no, no, the growth comes when you come before Jesus and say, God, I don't get it. Can you explain this to me? God, what are you doing? And what I've learned in this season is I said, God, why, 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 why? And almost never has God answered the question, why? But he always answers this question, what? God, what are you doing? He says, I'm growing your parenting. God, what are you doing? I'm growing your preaching. God, what are you doing? I'm growing your character. And what you've got to do is have the courage to come before God and say, what are you doing so that you can receive the gift that he longs to give you? Let me say that again. That might've come out of left field, but so let me explain where that comes from. Your asking God is preparing you to receive the gift that he has for you. Okay, that's a leap. So let me explain how I got there. Go back to the text. James starts with a socially distant, politically divided church. He says, consider it pure joy when you're struggling because God is growing you. And if you don't know how he's growing you, if he lacks wisdom, what does God wanna do? He gives without finding fault. He doesn't beat you up and say, you should know better. You should know. He just says, hey, I'll just give it to you. But skip down to verse 17. The first way that God is described is that God gifts you wisdom. And look at how he's described in James 1, 17. It says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father in the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chooses, or no, I'm sorry. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be a kind of first fruits that he's created. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above and he's giving us life. He's giving us birth through the word of truth. So friends, what I wanna tell you, no, let me say it this way. What I wanna ask you this morning is what is God giving you in this season? What is God gifting you right now? You see, friends, I only told you half of my workout story. The other half of my workout story is that um, when my gym shut down, I was like, oh, that sucks, but I can figure it out. I can just work out at home. 
But then my weights broke at home and I had no ability. So what did I do? I do what Kyle Thompson loves to do. I did some research. I made a plan. I said, I'm going to do it. And I did it and I failed. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start running. And then I'm like, oh, it's 100 degrees. I don't know if I can do that. And I failed. And every time I tried to will myself to exercise, I failed. Until one morning, my wife Kelly looked at me and said, Kyle, I think you need some exercise. Why don't you go and go on a hike, get some alone time so your head and your heart can be more centered, rooted in Jesus' peace and love. And on the way, I stopped at a coffee shop and I saw these two friends who were on a date and I interrupted their date and they said, how are you doing? I said, horrible, I can't find ways to exercise. And they just looked at me and said, just come exercise at our house, Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings before you go to work. And in that moment, I realized for four plus months, I tried to plan my way, will myself, discipline myself to get there. And I was unable to do it. But in this moment, it was like God giving Kyle a gift and saying, Kyle, do you realize that you're not strong enough or smart enough to do this on your own? Will you receive this gift that I'm giving you? All you got to do is put your hands out to receive. All you got to do is untie it. All you got to do is look at the paper and say, wow, look what I was given. And let Jesus be the hero of the story. This is what God's giving me. What is God giving you? But I also want to ask, what is God giving us? What is God giving our church? And I had actually forgotten about this until we were in a worship planning meeting on Tuesday. And one of the folks reminded us that back in December, we received a gift. Now, now most of you probably know that December is a time of, of generosity where people give above and beyond their tithe, their 10% and just go extra generous. Why? Because we believe that God has gone above and beyond being extra generous to us. And we had all these amazing projects that we were giving money to and I was so excited. And then we got a check a significant check for something that was outside of what we had asked for, what we'd planned for, what Kyle and his head and heart and our leadership team passed what we had dreamed about. And the check was for worship ministry. And I was like, worship ministry is fine. Like, have you heard Will? The boy can sing. We got a great deal. What do we need? And like, well, maybe we need like an extra camera or like some extra like, Behind the scenes infrastructure, doobly doob, the Kyle doesn't really understand. I was like, oh, that's, I said, I, I, you know, I probably wouldn't do it. I don't think we need that kind of stuff, but that's fine. But, but don't spend the whole thing because it just because just you have the money doesn't mean you spend the money, right? And we did it. And three months later, we had to learn how to become an online church and we didn't know how to do it. But, oh my gosh, look, we have this extra camera. Look, we have this infrastructure. Look, God has prepared us. And now for us to even continue that, 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 that gift that we didn't spend we, has been put to those tech upgrades we need so the word of God can go into your living room, into your neighborhood, into your neighbor's house and around the world. And in this moment, I had a plan and God said, I got a better plan. And God has gifted us by reminding us that he is in control that he's the boss of the church, that he's got a plan. So life, community, family, what's God teaching us? I'll tell you, 
I never thought in my wildest dreams that we'd be doing church like this. They didn't prepare me for this in seminary. There was no planning for this. We're all making it up as we go. And I don't know exactly why, but here's what I, I sense. This is what I wonder what God is teaching us. I wonder if God is clarifying for us in this season that church is not a building we go to. It's not a program we put on, but the church is the people of God on the mission of God. And I hope that any one of us who ever kind of got into that temptation saying, I'm going to church or, hey, where is your church? And we start thinking that church is this one hour thing we do on a Sunday morning. I hope that what God has done is just obliterated that in you and realize that you are the church when you are on the mission of God together. And instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what is my one hour of church going to be like on a Sunday morning? We now look at the other 127 hours of the week and say, oh, 128 hours a week. That's when we want to be the church. We're not just about this gathering in this building. We're about this people in this movement. You see, friends, what I hope God has taught you in this season is how you were wired and created by him for relationships. And when you weren't able to do this relational connection thing that we've taken for granted, you realize that you need people in your life, in your faith, in your family more than ever before. And more than ever, when we start, when we relaunch small groups in the fall, online and in-person groups, when we launch those falls, you're like, I never, I never, I never realized how much I needed a small group. I never wanted to do it, but man, I need people in my life for my faith, for my growth, for my health, for my family to be the God has called me to do so I can consider it all joy. I need wisdom that comes from those people. I hope you realize that. Friends, I hope you realize that we're not just this hour gathering that we do, but we're a people on a mission. And when there's opportunities in the fall that our compassion teams have been lining up, they're like, sign me up. I want to do it. Because I've realized that I used to think that going to church was what made me a Christian. And that's like saying going to McDonald's makes you a French fry. That's not what it is. But it's when you realize that, that, that I was lost without Jesus and Jesus transformed me and he made my life whole by connecting me to the body of Christ. And now he's empowering us to be his hands and his feet. And that's what it means to be the church, friends. I hope in this season that your misconceptions about church have been ripped away so you've been clarified about who God is, who you are, who we are, and that we're on a mission together. I hope that in this time when you look around and see darkness and division all over the place, you don't sit back and say, oh my gosh, look at the world that's going on. I hope in this time you've got to a place where you said, I can't take this anymore. I got to be the light. I got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I got to speak life and truth and darkness and division. And I got to go and I got to be the church. You see, friends, the way we worship, the means that might change. My preferences of how I prefer to worship might change. I prefer to be in the room with all of you, but my preferences may change, but the source of my power will never change. My preferences may be forced to change. So I can't rely on the things I like. I can't rely on doing it the way I can control I come to a place where I say, Jesus, as the leader of this church, I am totally, completely lost. Jesus, will you lead me? Jesus, will you teach us how to follow you? Jesus, will we trust your power more than any program? God will be recommitted to your work 
everywhere in my life, in my family, on my block, at our schools, wherever we may be. God, let us be the people of God on the mission of God. Receive the gift that God has for you. So let me just talk to you. I've talked to us about what's going on in our church, but just let me look at you. In this moment, I just wanna ask you this question. What gift is God giving you in this season? What gift is God giving you? To help you answer that question, I want to go back to what I said earlier about lifting weights. I actually thought that it was lifting weights, that as I was lifting the weights, my muscles were growing and getting stronger. And my coach said, it's actually not during the weightlifting that your muscles get stronger. Actually, during the weightlifting, your muscles get weaker. And I was like, what? She looked at me and she said this. She said, your strength and your growth comes not in the lifting, but in the resting. Oh, let me say that again. Your strength, your power, God gifts comes maybe not when you're exerting energy, but when you're resting and receiving all that God has for you. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from your strength? No. Every good and perfect gift comes from your ability to figure it all out? No. Every good and perfect gift comes when you realize that God has stepped out of heaven and stepped into your life through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has showed up into your life, into your quarantine, into your craziness and your brokenness and all of it and said, here, this is the gift I have for you. So I end with this. What is, what is the gift that God's giving you? What's the gift that God's giving your family right now? What's the gift that God's giving your faith right now? What is being ripped away? And God's saying, maybe you can live without that. Or maybe you've taken for granted and when it comes back, I want you to enjoy it. Maybe there's something that God has given you in this season and you need to rest and receive. So to help you do that, I wanna help you conclude our sermon together and continue our worship by taking a posture of resting and receiving. If you feel comfortable, wherever you may be, I wanna invite you to put your hands up like this in a posture of receiving. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. And in your own head, in your own heart, in your own words, ask God, say, God, what are you doing right now? Maybe before you're able to receive, you need to say to God, God, these are the things that are weighing me down and I can't stop thinking about school and work and stress and family and health. And you're not even ready to receive. What you've got to do is lift up those weights to him in your own words, in your own prayer. Just give those to Jesus.
And in your own words, when you're ready, ask him in your heart, God, what are you doing? How are you at work in this pain? What are you changing in me? What are you transforming around me? Just take a moment in this silence. I'm believing and trusting God that you are hearing from him. Those of you who are hearing from him, maybe you need to just write it down so you don't forget. Maybe you need to tell someone, text someone to confirm the revelation, the insights, the wisdom that he's given you. Maybe you are asking God to speak and it's like crickets. So I'm asking God on your behalf, God, I pray that you would speak to every single person this week. Lord, speak through life circumstances. Speak through your Holy Spirit. Speak through a good friend. Speak through your word, God. We do not believe that you're only gonna work in this moment, in this prayer. We believe that you are always longing to reach out and give us gifts and wisdom and insight. So God, this week I pray that you'd give us wisdom so that we can consider it pure joy, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Lord God, in this moment, we turn to you in worship. We come to you and say, God, we don't know, but we know you know. We come to you and say, God, we're not in control, but you are. We come and say, we're not the saviors of the world, but you are, God. And we worship you and trust you because you've given us wisdom, because you continue to give us good gifts and we want whatever you have for us. So Lord, in this worship, we declare that you are the Lord and the leader of our lives and ask that you'd give us the wisdom we need to live a life empowered by you. In Jesus' name I pray.